Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to the Livewire House Party. This weekend is Mother's Day, a wonderful day to honor our moms. They are literally the reason we're on this planet. And they can also be kind of a handful sometimes. So we figured we'd do an episode that honors the fact that mother-child relationships can be a bit fraught with some guests who know all about that. First up, Saeed Jones on coming out as gay in Texas to his mom and how she reacted. Then we're going to hear some stand-up from Lori Kilmartin about the challenges of single motherhood. Plus, we're going to talk to filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld. He made Men in Black and Get Shorty. And he's got a memoir out, Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother, about how that relationship shaped him. Not always for the best. Then we've got music from Alila Diane. It's the live wire. Mother's Day can be complicated extravaganza. And it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going well. I'm very excited about the best news segment this week. I actually had to place a call to a Tim Hortons in Canada <gasps> to fact check one thing. Oh, wow. That's when you know that you've really stumbled upon a gem when you get to talk That's to right. Tim Hortons in Canada. Don't say we don't do real journalism here on Livewire. Speaking <laughs> of which, you ready to do the show? Let's do it. All right, Molly, are we recording? We're rolling. All right, Elena, take it away. <laughs> From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire house party. This week, writer Saeed Jones, comedian Lori Kilmartin, and filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld. With music from Alila Diane. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Uh, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks so much to everybody for tuning in. Welcome to the Livewire House Party. Uh, we are celebrating Mother's Day this weekend. Maybe you have a super great relationship with your mom. If so, congrats. Um, but just in case, we have an audience question. Who is your favorite fictional mother? <laughs> We're going to hear everyone's submission to that uh, coming up in just a bit. First, though, of course, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This, of course, is our little start to the show where we like to remind folks that, in fact, there is good news going on in the world. 
We like to talk about that. Elena, what is the best news you've heard all week? Oh, this one has been making the rounds, but I, I picked it because it involves TikTok. And I know you love TikTok so much. So this is for you. M- much more than somebody my age should. Yes, <laughs> it is true. Um, well, speaking of age, uh, this is a 19 year old nurse's assistant named Madison Kahoot who uh, met. Uh, a, a woman who sort of became her second mom through TikTok. They sort of oh. got to know each other over the course of a year. And Madison was looking to start over, start a new life. She lived in Norman, Oklahoma. And her TikTok friend, Lori Parker, said, well, why don't you move to the little town that I live in, which is called Piggott, Arkansas. It's about 100 miles north of Memphis. And so uh, she did. She found an apartment online, signed a lease the day of, moved in. It was dark. The next morning, she wakes up and she realizes <laughs> that she has moved into a senior apartment residence. <laughs> <laughs> and she's how old? She's like... She's 19. <laughs> 19 years old. Nice. Okay. And But then she sort of made the best of it. Uh, well, A, because it was kind of the best. She says that it's great. People check up on her. They fix her dinner. They leave snacks at her door. They ask how she is. And she can play her music, she says, as loud as she wants because no one can hear it. (laughs) And she started documenting all of this material on TikTok and it went super viral. So it turned out to be a brilliant mistake. (laughs) I always thought, you know, the Golden Girls was fictional, but turns out it was a documentary about the joys of living with a wisecracking older group of gals. If I could live in that Florida house with them with those like peach couches and eat cheesecake in my cafeteria, like that, that I would I would give several years from my life if I could spend <laughs> my 40s living with Blanche, Rose, Sophia and Dorothy. Uh, the best news that I heard all week actually comes from Ontario, Canada, a town called Listowell, mm-hmm. which I had to call the Tim Hortons in Listowell to make sure I was saying the name of the town right. Oh, is that why you called? <laughs> yes. <laughs> For pronunciation? Yeah, you know, we may be on in Canada. Maybe the signal bleeds across the border. I want to make sure we're doing it right. Oh, that's great. Um, this little town in Ontario, uh, the guy who runs the Speedy Auto Glass, named Trevor Cork, he got this idea. He saw this somewhere else, a, a town that did sign wars. And so he decided he wanted to try a sign war in the town of Listowell, Ontario. And what that is is where all the businesses Mm -hmm. start calling each other out on their little reader board signs. Like a hip-hop battle, only with, like, plastic marquee lettering. (laughs) Exactly. So on his sign at the Speedy Glass, he called out the Dairy Queen. He said, hey, DQ, you want to have a sign war? (laughs) And then the DQ in Listowell responded, you bet your glass we do. (laughs) Which then had, I don't know if it's like a gym or an athletic training place, something called Corley Sports Excellence, said, add us to the sign war because we're good sports. And these are all outside of buildings. People are driving past these things. (laughs) This is a town of like 7,500 people. People are coming in from other parts of Canada to visit Listowell (gasps) to see the sign wars that are going on. This has been like a boon for the town. The funeral home, Eaton Funeral Home, they called out something called 365 Auto Wash and Pet. Uh-oh. They said, you start a sign war with us, that's a grave mistake. Oh, no. Oh, that, that rides the level of taste. I know, right? <laughs> kind of dark, but I like it. I think the best sign had to be from the Presbyterian Church. Oh. They called out the DQ. They said, hey, DQ, our Sundays are the best. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Presbyterian Church, mic drop. You love to see it. And that is the best news I saw all week. 
All right, we're talking about moms on the show this week. Uh, and our first guest wrote about his complex relationship with his mom in his extraordinary memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, which was awarded the Kirkus Prize, and it was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, many other places. Uh, take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Saeed Jones that we recorded as part of the Portland Book Festival back in 2019. Hello. Hi, Saeed. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Portland. (laughs) This is radio, so I don't want to, like, waste too much time on it, but the windbreaker that you have on is, is, I mean, I don't feel like we can really get into the interview proper without... At least talking about it. It's if, incredible. If you're, if, if you're listening, just imagine that I am a purple parasitic orchid um, <laughs> only found in, in the rare village of Columbus, Ohio. That is what <laughs> I look like right now. I love it. It's, Doesn't it feel like, like you need to hold your breath because if you inhale me, like you'll be dead in 24 hours? <laughs> That's the goal. That is all I've ever wanted out of my clothes, to kill people <laughs> with beauty. Yes. <laughs> Nature's way of saying, yeah. Step back. Step back. Yes. <laughs> um, this book was just really incredible. I was I was talking uh, to you backstage about it. I, I feel like I, you know, white straight guy from the Pacific Northwest, totally different like lived experience than you, uh, young gay black man in Texas growing up, and yet I felt like it was so universal the stuff you were talking about. Um, the, the 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 sort of two things the book seems to hinge on is your uh, being a young gay black man and having a a, a lovely but also complicated mom. Yep. Which we all do, I think, if we're lucky. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the relationship between the people who made us um, is always going to be fraught because it's, you know, there's no blueprint, particularly like your first kid and my mom was a single parent. There's no blueprint, mm-hmm. you know, and every moment is unexpectedly high stakes. Even the fun moments, mm-hmm. even the lovely moments, you know, those become, if we're lucky, very important memories. So there, it's always, I think, like just a complicated dynamic. But I loved my mom. Um, you know, I, I write for myself. But I, I, I love that people are connecting with the book in unexpected ways. Moms and grandmas and queer people and straight people. And, you know, because I think we are all fighting for our lives. That's, that's, that's the point, you know. And if you think you aren't struggling to figure out who you are on a daily basis, then you just have a bigger fight ahead of you. Your mom uh, was a Buddhist, mm-hmm. which, which I would imagine was a fairly unusual thing in that part of Texas when you it, were growing absolutely. up. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and yet, it sounds like the relationship that you had, at least the, the talking about the fact that you were uh, young and gay, was, that, was, that was not an easy conversation for the two of you. Yeah, it was, yeah, my mom was, you know, um, very liberal, very cultured. She worked for Delta Airlines for a long, long time, so she, she worked as a flight attendant. She's seen the world. And so she brought that worldliness, a word that figures into the book a little later, into the way she raised me. We, you know, we loved um, learning about different cultures. Um, but um, queerness my queerness and sexuality, we just couldn't talk about. Even when she was very blunt about sex in general. I remember once um, I was in high school and we, we were in the car, she was driving, and we got to a red light and she just turned to me and no, there was no, we were like silent listening to music. She, she just turned to me and she said, do you masturbate? <laughs> and I'm just looking at her like, what did the song that yeah, we were listening possibly? 
And she just says, I think you should. And the light turned green and she just kept driving. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. So we had a, a funny, a vibrant contemporary relationship. But me, when I came out you know, to her and in college my freshman year, it just became the silence that we couldn't talk about it. You know, I would bring up like my boyfriend's brother, and you see that in the book at one point, and I just look up from her, you know, just I'm trying to casually ease into uh, a simple conversation, basically to ask for advice about boys, because men are trash. <laughs> and gay is absolutely not a choice because I super wish I was not attracted to them, but I am. I am attracted to these handsome trash bags. And so I, I wanted to ask her some advice. And I looked up at her and she was looking at me. I describe it as like a person who's afraid of heights. It, it felt like I was leading her to the edge of a bridge. It felt cruel in that moment to talk about a really simple honest part of myself. And I think queer people, black people, we struggle with this all the time. You know, it's, it's kind of like we're made to feel like we're being mean for being ourselves. It's like, why are you making us talk about this? It's hard. You know, like people are like, black lives matter. Please stop killing us. And people are like, oh my God, you're so aggressive, you know? And so that's what it felt like um, with my mom and I, e even though we had a funny, you know, vibrant, loving relationship. But the thing is about those silences, is that they begin with time to metastasize mm -hmm. and they begin to color everything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think that uh, a lot of straight people, they would have a hard time understanding why in let's say 2019, mm -hmm. somebody would be hesitant to come out. Mm -hmm. And yet for you growing up and even into your college years, you slipped in and out of being uh, comfortable coming out to people and you sort of put yourself back in the closet at certain points. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that's like and, and why it is that somebody would feel uncomfortable coming out even in this modern era where it seems like we're in a pretty accepting culture? Absolutely. I mean, you know, even right now, the, the current Supreme Court, one of the cases that they're considering, I think it's still being figured out, right, is whether it is legal um, to fire someone for being gay or trans. That's happening now. So there were, I mean, that, and, and listen, if you can't be yourself at your job, okay, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people in this country who don't feel safe coming out in 2019. And who could blame them? If you are living in this country and you are made to feel that your job, your livelihood might depend on being on the closet, stay in the closet as long as you need to. Yeah. Really, I really believe that. You know, I, I try to, you know, coming out was important for me. I believe that when people are get to that part of their story where they're ready to come out, and we all come out in different ways about different things, right? But you have to do it when you're ready. And if someone is not coming out, I feel that there are often some reasons for that. And we need to think about it. You know, we need to say, like, why aren't you coming out? And just go, like, well, what is going on that makes you feel that you cannot? you know, share this part of yourself with us. But it's, but you know, it's fluid. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, if I, um, when I leave here, if I get in an Uber and I, I'm reading, you know, the micro gestures of my driver, do I feel safe? You know what I mean? I know women think about this all the, you know, like all the, the uh-huh, yeah. you're like, we're constantly kind of reading people. Am I safe in this space? We come out every time you go to a new doctor. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, certainly writing this book, it's all out there. But, you know, when, I, when I've done different appearances, you know, I'm trying to read the kind of space, you know, when I step into a school space. Like, what is up? You know, so um, we're always negotiating this. Um, but it's, it can be fraught. You're listening to the Livewire House Party from PRX. 
I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. We got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we'll be back with more of our conversation with Saeed Jones in just a moment. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Live Wire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking about moms this week in honor of Mother's Day, uh, among other things. Speaking of which, uh, let's get back to our conversation with writer Saeed Jones. We recorded this as part of the Portland Book Festival back in 2019. Uh, you were in the book. It, it really uh, makes it pretty clear that poetry was a refuge for you as a kid. Why, uh, or at least as a young adult, why did it speak to you, and what were you finding in there? Um, I mean, I think I was first drawn to poetry because I've always been a good talker, <laughs> and you know, a good conversation is really driven by like an intuitive kind of reading of the moment, what's working, and and that you know, set me up, I think, for poetry, right? Because you're, it's, it's driven by sound and image and you, you read and you study the craft rigorously. But then, you know, now as a writer, it feels something more akin to jazz, you know, and you're just listening to it and you're like, okay, well, do we want to riff? You know, and you go for it. And so I just, I just found this natural inclination for it um, and I loved it. And then I started getting praise for it. And that's, you know, we, that, that's important for us as kids. I think so many of us, you know, our career paths, when we look back 10, 20 years, it's like, why did you become then? It's like, I don't know. It was the first thing someone told me I was good at, mm -hmm. you know? And as a black gay kid in, in the suburbs of North Texas, Louisville High School fighting farmers, by the way. Go farmers. Go farmers. <laughs> when I would write a poem, I remember writing a poem about Orpheus, uh, my junior year of high school, and a teacher who was not very nice to me, he praised me for it. Wow. And it... Well, that was huge, you know? Um, and so you, you I, at least I, I doubled down, yeah. you know, on the joy in those moments. And so it happened to be poetry. And I, I want to mention, too, for folks that haven't seen the book, when you say Louisville, Texas, it's not like Louisville, Texas. And it's not. It's oh, God, spelled, it was so confusing when I moved to Kentucky. But your whole life must be explaining, no, Louisville, <laughs> Texas. Your mom moved you there because the schools were better. The schools were better, But what yeah. was it like? <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of what you think it sounds like. Uh, you know, it's, so Louisville is uh, just, it's in the suburbs, uh, just up the highway from Dallas. So it's right between Denton and Dallas, if you, if you know that. Um, that part of Texas is very conservative, even more so, I would argue, than other parts of the state. There were black and Latino kids like in my school, but not that many. And certainly not as I started taking like, you know, the advanced literature classes I was taking, you know. And um, I tell people that, you know, I um, was a passionate reader. 
my, by my senior year of high school, AP English and all of that, not a single book in class that was assigned, that we discussed as a class, by uh, a person of color. Not a single one. Um, and, you know, that last semester, my senior year, my teacher, the, the one who uh, complimented me on the poem, actually, he, was, he said out loud, he was like, um, I'm trying to decide this next book, what we should do, you know, it's between All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy, beautiful book, um, and Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston, and I gasped, yeah. like you did just now, right? And I waited until after class, and I was always the kid who would not wait. Like, I, it was always like, Said is a great student, but he really needs to learn how to raise his hands. <laughs> and I was like, but was I wrong when I spoke up? No. <laughs> You're welcome. You and you, that idiot in the back row? No, I got the answer. Uh, <laughs> but I, I waited until the end of class, and I, I made my little case, you know, a little debate student that I was. I made my little pitch, and he still said no. Uh. And it just made me so sad, you know, and the rage <laughs> that you see um, in, certainly in the college years in the book, but I would say, you know, my, my writing in general has a ferocity to it. Yeah. I'm not just angry or full of rage just because it's a personality fluke. I am disgusted by the way our country and its culture lies to us about what we intuitively know. I knew I deserved to be in a classroom and have a smart conversation with my peers and with my educator about black art. I knew I deserved that. And my classmates deserve that too, by the way. You know, yeah. um, and, and so it just broke my heart. So that was that was what I was growing up with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking to Saeed Jones about his memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. Um, up until pretty recently, you were the co-host of this morning show on BuzzFeed called AM to DM. Yeah. But what I thought was so interesting about it was that it's a, a morning a news and culture show mm -hmm. aimed, I guess you could say, primarily at millennials, at younger people. Sure. Or um, people who, you know, are just yeah. vibing. What are the people that are older than the millennials mostly not getting about millennials and how they're moving through the world as somebody who is one and who is creating content for them? Um, I mean, you know, I, for me, I came from the perspective of a gay black man who grew up in the South, who just always felt I was being ignored by media. My face was not the face of Texas, right? And so I've always had that, you know, and even, you know, as with queerness, pride happens in New Orleans. It happens in, in um, Oxford, Mississippi as well. Why don't we like talk about those communities? Because they are vibrant queer communities. Columbus, Ohio, where I live now, one of the gayest places I've ever lived. But, you know, that's not the way people often talk about Ohio. So then I, I just bring that to media. That's everything I do, you know, is about saying, I see you. Mm. I get it, you know, and, and whether that is about young people or whether that's about uh, women and, and talking about gender politics or I'm just like, I see you. I get you. Let's talk. When I was working at BuzzFeed, when I started in 2013, I, I created the LGBT vertical. That was my first role there as editor. And, um, you know, I got to learn so much from at the time it was a hashtag um, called Girls Like Us. It was an opportunity for me to learn um, about the conversations resonant with black trans women, you know, and it was via a Twitter hashtag, you know, and, you, and, you know, and, and so I say all that to say that's what we brought to the show yeah. is like seeing that there's an opportunity to level the dynamic a bit and invite people into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Saeed Jones's new book is How We Fight for Our Lives. It's incredible. Please check it out. Saeed, thank you so much for being on Livewire. <laughs> Thank you.
That was Saeed Jones, recorded as part of the Portland Book Festival back in 2019. His book, How We Fight for Our Lives, is available in paperback now. It is really good. Uh, these days, Saeed lives in Columbus, Ohio, with his dog, Caesar. Remember, Elena? Oh, yeah. I loved like, Caesar. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, we called Saeed up just to find out how it was going adopting a dog during the pandemic. He was one of the first people I knew that did. Mm-hmm. Saeed and Caesar are doing great in uh, Columbus. Um, and, uh, well, they're just adorable. <laughs> Speaking of things that are adorable, this is the Livewire House Party <laughs> from PRX. Hey, special thanks this episode to Don Parker of Portland, Oregon. I was just thinking about Don Parker. Why? Because her generous donation to the show is what allows us to keep doing the show. Don's never far from my mind. Uh, We are so thankful for that support. It's how we're able to do Livewire. So a big thanks to Don Parker. All right, we're talking about moms on the show this week, just sort of for no particular reason. Uh, JK, it's Mother's Day this weekend, if you haven't heard. Our next guest is an Emmy-nominated writer. She's written for Conan and a bunch of other stuff. She's also one of the writers behind the New York Times bestseller, Bleepy Mom, The Parenting Guide for the Rest of Us. See, like, the right book to talk about on Mother's Day. Take a listen to this. This is Lori Kilmartin, recorded back in 2018. single mother. Uh, my son is 11 years old. I can't believe he's 11 already. I remember when he was so tiny, he fit on the front steps of a Catholic church. I just put him there and shuffled away. I'm on a OkCupid. Okay I'm 52. And this guy messaged me. He goes, 52. Wow. You look 47. I was like, hold on, let me take a second and accept this amazing compliment that I look five years younger. Thank you. (laughs) I was on a date with a guy and he goes, uh, just so you know, I'm not ready to be a stepdad yet. And I was like, that's okay. Uh, I'm actually not looking for a stepdad tonight. You know, if if you want to join my family, you can be this month's uncle. That's totally open. That position is open. That's what I, I never tell my son I have a boyfriend. I don't want to harm him emotionally. I always tell my son, oh honey, this is your uncle. And then when I break up with a guy, I tell my son, oh, honey, your uncle died. (laughs) I know, it's tough, because I had a really good month in November on OkCupid, which means, of course, my son did not. (laughs) He lost seven uncles. (laughs) He is an only child, which means I am my son's only playmate. He's always like, Mom, do you want to play with me? Uh, no. (laughs) I'm sorry, we have nothing in common. I don't like Minecraft, you hate Pinterest. I don't wanna play with you, you're boring. I got you Legos, built something. Built a dad. Or an uncle, I don't care, but please. I was tucking my son into bed, he goes, mom, you should have had another baby. I'm like, honey, I didn't even wanna have you. Now sleep tight. And happy birthday. Almost lost you guys on that one. You almost stormed out. <laughs> are there uh, are there parents here tonight? Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Um, are you single parents? Yeah, just one. Okay. <laughs> uh, congratulations to the rest of you, by the way, on your healthy relationships. Uh, don't get uh, too satisfied with yourself. Statistically, many of you will be single parents. Yeah, I got bad news for you. Love dies and children live. Uh, are there childless people here tonight? Yes. Did you hear the joy in their voices? Did you see the hands shoot up with energy instead of like a surrender? Uh, Here's what it's like to be a mom, to have a child. Imagine how much you love your pet, and then just multiply that love by 0.7. And divide that by 10. Um, <laughs> I, uh, kids are hard at every age. Like when my son was in kindergarten, he would have two pages of homework every single night. And then we had to turn in eight pages on, on Friday just to teach him to do something every night. And one week, I just blew it off. You know, I didn't want to sit with a five-year-old. I just wanted to watch TV. So Thursday night rolls around. I'm like, oh, dang. I either have to make a five-year-old do eight pages of homework tonight. Or I can drink a bottle of wine, put the pencil in my left hand, and write exactly like a five-year-old. I did. We got a B plus. Uh, it's, the best, it's the best grade either of us ever got in our lives. When my kid, when, when they're tiny, when they're toddlers, they're, they're, they shout every single word they say. They're like teeny, tiny, elderly people. So one time, my son and I were on a plane. He had the window seat. The plane takes off, and he starts shouting, clouds, clouds, mom, clouds, mom, clouds, clouds, mom, clouds, nonstop bleeding like a sheep, you know? And uh, people on the plane started looking at me. And the guy in front of me says to his friend, so I could hear you, he goes, oh, my God, could that kid be any louder? And I snapped. I go, yeah, yeah, he can. Would you like me to make that happen? Because all I would have to do is pull down my kid's window shade. Like, if you think clouds is loud, wait till you hear no clouds. We are four minutes into a six-hour flight. You want to dance? Okay. I'll tell him the pilot is a monster. I'll hide the Thomas the Tank Engine. This will be the longest flight of your life. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Lori Kilmartin, everybody. That was Lori Kilmartin, recorded back in 2018. She is a writer on Conan and definitely one of the funniest people on Twitter. I mean, mm. she is sharp, very sharp on Twitter. And she, she gives no quarter, Elena. No. But if you're into that kind of thing, definitely go follow her over there on a Twitter. Uh, this is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. As we uh, like to do each week, we ask the Livewire listeners a question. And because it's Mother's Day weekend, we're talking about moms. We're also talking about, you know, the complexity of the mom relationship. We asked the audience, who is your favorite fictional mother? Uh, what did they say, Elena? <laughs> this one from Don. Don's favorite fictional mother is Endora from Bewitched, of course. Wow. Uh, who, you know, uh, and then Jennifer, who I believe we've only met over uh, Zoom, but quite young. Our, our social new, media our new social media manager, Jennifer. Yeah. Yes. She's written in the comments, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact Endora from Bewitched was in Citizen Kane. Really? Endora was very big with the Moo Moo's, right? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I think it was like maybe a muumuu on top of a caftan with like <laughs> oh. a bed jacket over the top. Uh, she had a lot of fabric. She seemed like she'd be fun to hang out with. She'd be fun to have a martini with at about three in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Much cooler <laughs> than uh, Durwood, her arch nemesis. Right. <laughs> What's another fictional mother that our listeners would have would have liked to have in their lives? Uh, how about this one from Tyler? Tyler's fictional mother is Shaft. Because Shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Is <laughs> <laughs> that Richard Roundtree? Boy, that would be a really interesting home life if Shaft was your mother. Yeah. I feel like the other kids would definitely not bully you. It's true. All right. What's another one? Oh, here's one that I forgot all about. It's also TV. A lot of TV moms. Uh, nobody said, mm-hmm. by the way, my favorite fictional mother who is Grendel's mom from Beowulf. I don't know. like what. <laughs> yeah. What a shock that that didn't make the list. How about this one from Darcy? Darcy's favorite fictional mother is from her favorite childhood show, Mork from Mork and Mindy. Uh, <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> oh, right. Because on Ork, do the, the, the men carry the baby? Yeah, and I think it's an egg. I think they just carry right. this like big egg around and then it turned into Jonathan Winters. Oh, right? right. <laughs> what a show. And then Fonzie showed up, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was a good show. They should reboot that. Although I guess it would probably never be the same without Robin Williams. Yeah, but. that's the true compliment is if you can't reboot it. You can't. There could never be another Mork from Work. Uh, yeah. Thanks to those rainbow suspenders and the man who drove them. You're listening to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we're talking about Mother's Day this week on the show. And our next guest is a filmmaker and he's a writer. He broke into the industry as the cinematographer for the Coen brothers on their first three films. Then he made his directorial debut in 1991 with The Adams Family, went on to direct Get Shorty and the first three of the Men in Black films. And he's also the author of Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother, Memoirs of a Neurotic Filmmaker. And we thought this would be the perfect conversation to re-air on this Mother's Day weekend. Let's take a listen to this. It's Barry Sonnenfeld, recorded in May of last year. Barry Sonnenfeld, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. I'm uh, excited to be here. Woohoo! Um, let's start with the title of the book, which relates to an incredible story from the book. The book is called <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother. I just thought that was like you talking about an overprotective Jewish mother. This is a literal thing that happened. <laughs> That's right. So this is based on a true story, which is uh, in uh, early 1970, there was a first peace concert at Madison Square Garden. My mother somehow let me go to this concert with my girlfriend. I think it's because she was very anti-Vietnam War, so this is a big deal for her, too. Uh, in any case, it's 2.20 in the morning. Jimi Hendrix is on stage for the second time, and over the PA system, as he's about to play his first song, 19,600 people, comes the announcement, Barry Sonnenfeld, <laughs> call your mother. Oh, my God. True story. <laughs> You're how old? I'm 17. I'm a senior in high school. But here's the problem. It was 2.20. I had promised I would be home by (laughs) 2. But I believe you said to her something like, Ma, uh, when you called Madison Square Garden, did they inform you the concert was, in fact, still going? Uh, And she knew that, but that didn't matter to her at that moment. Well, what she said is, yes, they said the concert was still going, but they couldn't confirm you were there. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. By the way, this is the same woman who, when I graduated high school, 
said that if I went to sleepaway school, others call it college, <laughs> she would commit suicide. So I spent three years living at home in Washington Heights uh, and attending NYU uh, University Heights campus in the Bronx. Okay, this actually brings me to my next question, right? This episode is our Mother's Day special, Barry. <laughs> but the thing is... But you want me to say something nice about no, my parents. I want you to give your honest answer, Barry. But, but, I, but I do think what you represent and what's in this book is an account of someone who has a very complicated relationship with their mom. And that also is the experience of a lot of the people listening to this on the radio right now. Well, here's the thing. I do redeem my both of my parents in the second to last chapter. Part of that is because I feel I was so mean to them. Uh, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give our listeners a spoiler. At the very end, I say, my parents were good people. They were just terrible parents. And mm. there's a chapter about that. And I acknowledge they were good people. Many of my friends say, how dare you not be equally mean to your father? They never say to me, you should be nicer to your mother. They all say you should be meaner, as mean to your father. In fact, my mother, uh, there's, there's a moment in the book where uh, I'm quoted in Newsweek as saying that on the set of Men in Black, I'd go up to uh, grips and electricians and say to them, I'll give you $400,000 to get me kicked off the film or kill my mother. <laughs> and when my mother read this, she called me and said, do you really wish I, I were dead? And I said, Mom, I promise you I would never pay anyone $400,000 to kill you. And she said, thank you. I love you too. But she <laughs> then said, if you ever say mean things about me again, can you at least say them about your father as well? Uh, by the way, this is the Livewire House Party. We're talking to Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, director and writer. His new book is Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, Call Your Mother. Uh, he directed the Men in Black films, the first three of them, Get Shorty, uh, worked on uh, Coen Brothers films like Raising Arizona. Um, you were the cinematographer on Raising Arizona, right? That's correct. When you were making those films like uh, Raising Arizona and Blood Simple and Miller's Crossing with the Coen Brothers, were you all aware that something really special was happening from kind of a creative standpoint? No. You know, making films, no matter if they're good or bad or if you're making them with the Coen Brothers or Frank Perry – while you're making them, they're all equally sort of like tedious. Mm. Uh, you know, in fact, on Raising Arizona, Joe Cohen and I both offered Ethan a substantial sum of money if we didn't have to go to dailies and he would just watch the dailies <laughs> without us because we were so bored and thought they were so bad. Oh. The worst thing you can ever do when you're making a movie is think you're making art. Or think you, you're going to have a big blockbuster. Just do your work, get through the day, and see what happens. Did that come back, that work that come back to you when you were working on the memoir? I, I remember there's a part in it when you're sitting at your desk in Telluride and there's like a Belvedere waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brutally shaken Belvedere, that's yeah. right. Um, I loved writing this book. I would sit down. I never had writer's block. I, I would sit down and write 35 to 40 pages a day. 
The first draft of this book was 80% longer than what you guys read. Wow. Wow. And I just took whole, I took entire chapters out. Chapters I love being an elevator operator at 40 Wall Street, going to Jones Beach, just because, just like I think no movie should be longer than 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think that book should be a certain length as well. So um, I want, again, when I direct or when I write, I want you guys to want the next one. You know, mm-hmm. I want, I love it when people say, I love Men in Black, but it was too short. I say, thank you. Right. Cause it's like 89 minutes long or something, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. With, with credits. <laughs> with and there credit. were a lot of credits. Speaking of Men in Black, um, I, I saw those movies like uh, thousands and thousands of people did, and I loved them. But I guess I didn't really realize at the time how much kind of like quantum mechanics and physics and science is really underpinning the premise of the films. And in reading this book, you bring up some of that stuff. Was that part of the fun for you? Like the the, the science-ness of it? There was no fun making those movies. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, my phone's ringing. And it's probably someone telling me I could... Get better insur- car insurance, but uh, <laughs> hopefully my wife or kid will pick it up. Oh, yeah, there you go. Where are you at so, right now, by the way, Barry? Where, where, where are we finding you? I wish I was in Portland, but I'm in Telluride, Colorado, which ain't a bad place to be. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Hey, sweetie, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Wait, Boy, so that's I your wife. That's sweetie, the famous sweetie. That's your sweetie. wife, the famous sweetie. <laughs> that, that is. Uh, oh, yes. And by the way, to answer your question, uh, yes, there is a lot of uh, sort of quantum physics and stuff in, in the Men in Black movies. And, mm-hmm. and I do really love that concept of the multiverse and yeah. that perhaps there's a trillion, trillion, trillion versions mm-hmm. of our reality. And uh, I, I think that kind of stuff is fascinating. I don't know that I believe it, but I kind of love the concept. It made for a great kind of motif of the book, kind of coming back to the idea of these quantum realities where you wouldn't have met Sweetie or you wouldn't have been on that plane or things like that. No. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. I it used to have much more of that. And I actually got rid of it because I, I realized, you know, just like in filmmaking, I believe that the best comedy is when the audience figures out where the joke is on their own. Like I hate cutting to a close-up for a Mm -hmm. punchline. I love when comedy scenes play out in master shots. My uh, favorite example of that is in The First Men in Black, Tommy Lee Jones is interrogating Regic, this alien, about why they're trying to get off a planet with his wife being pregnant. And in the background, Will Smith is being thrown around by this right. alien tentacle. <laughs> right. Never cut to a close-up of Will yelling, yes. hey, help. Just it all plays out in this super wide shot with all that stuff in, in the background. And I feel the same way about uh, the book. You know, I, I decided to let the audience figure out where the comedy was instead of hitting them over the head with it. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Livewire House Party from PRX. We've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, more from Barry Sonnenfeld. Don't go anywhere. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. 
Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're listening back to a conversation we had last year with filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld about his memoir, Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother. Seemed like a great interview to air here on Mother's Day weekend. So take a listen to this. And this book is a really honest account, Barry, of kind of how your parents' failings, particularly your mom's failings, really affected your life. You have a kid, you have stepkids. What do you think they would write in their book about you? Well, the stepkids would be nicer than my <laughs> really? our joint kid because they have to be. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, talking about uh, Chloe, who is Sweetie and my mutual daughter, yeah. I would say that, you know, every every person says, when I'm a parent, I'm going to do it differently. And I think what happens is you become, to a certain extent, you become your parents' worst traits. And then you also try to not be them. So, But like my daughter, Chloe, has some of my best traits and some of my worst traits. Mm. Best trait is um, we both independently will get to the airport four or five hours early. <laughs> And, you know, she also could be a great director because she's opinionated and she has strong opinions and great taste. But she also gets angry too quickly, and uh, which I did until my 40s. Uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I've calmed down. But I think it's really hard not to become your parents. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. And you know you shouldn't do it. And you still, I still say to, listen... When she flies from L.A. to Japan or Europe, I am on flight tracker watching mm. her plane <laughs> for those 16 hours going, they're over the Pacific. Why would they change from 37,000 feet to 35,000 feet in the middle of nowhere? What's going on on that plane? You know who so, you are. You're your mother calling Madison Square that's Garden right. at 220. That's right. I know. That's exactly right. I, I did become my mother, and I hate myself for it. Oh. Well, Barry Sonnenfeld, it's been really fun to talk to you, and this book is just a delightful read. I, we could have talked to you for hours on end just about yeah. your movie making or just about how much resentment you have towards your mom, but we tried to just <laughs> pick the best bits here for this brief conversation, but we really appreciate you taking the time to stop by the uh, Livewire house party this week. Thank you. That was Barry Sonnenfeld right here on the Livewire house party. His book is Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother. Uh, when he's uh, not busy slowly turning into his mother, <laughs> Barry is directing episodes of the upcoming Apple TV musical comedy Schmigadoon with <laughs> Cecily Strong. <laughs> Elena's got a new favorite word. You're going to watch that show just on the strength of the name, Schmigadoon. Like the target demographic research yes. was just a picture of me, a musical with Barry Sonnenfeld called Schmigadoon. And starring Cecily Strong, who's amazing, and Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, my God. Uh, so that sounds like a heck of a show. It premieres in July. Make sure to check that out. 
uh, so you and Elena can talk about how the show was. <laughs> Otherwise, she'll be the only viewer because we know she's in. I'm in. Schmigadoon! <laughs> <laughs>this is the live wire house party i'm luke burbank with elena passarello gosh you knew it was bound to happen we're almost at the end of our special mother's day episode but can't leave before playing you some of the amazing and beautiful music of alila diane uh, she wrote this song that we're about to hear after she traveled overseas for the first time leaving her daughter at home so we thought it'd be a fitting song to wrap up our mother's day weekend show Check this out. It's Albatross by Alila Diane, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland back in 2019.
Thank you. That was singer-songwriter Alila Diane performing on the show from back in 2019. That song, Albatross, is off of her album Cusp, which is about her experience with motherhood. See what we did there? Mother's Day show. <laughs> song about motherhood. Um, Alila has another album out these days. It's called Live at the Map Room, which you can find at aliladiane.com. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. It is going to be a good one. We're going to be talking to Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money. She's got a new book out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. Then we're going to talk to the writer Alyssa Washuda about her new collection of essays. It's called White Magic. Talks about, among other things, trying to cure heartbreak through witchcraft. Plus, we're going to hear some new music from Juliana Hatfield. And, of course, we would like to get you, the Livewire listeners, response to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? Okay, next week, tell us about a trivial disagreement that you can't seem to resolve. Okay, so if you have an answer to that question, if you've been... Uh, embroiled in a trivial disagreement and it just cannot be resolved. Tell us about it over at the various social media places, you know, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We're on TikTok now. Yeah. Um, we use the, the handle Livewire. I never miss a chance to mention we're on TikTok. Makes you feel very young and cool. So please do send in your responses. All right, that is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, Saeed Jones, Lori Kilmartin, Barry Sonnenfeld, and Alila Diane. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Special thanks this week to Amanda Bullock at the Portland Book Festival. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Jennifer Vo is our social media manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Debbie Nolan of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can find our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of LiveWire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 